is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Stay right here. All three hours. And uh, when the show is over, I think you'll be glad that you did. We're hearing, of course, the, uh, the pseudo-media go on and on that uh, what's at stake here now that Justice Kennedy has announced his retirement, he's been on the bench 30 years, is the court moving more to the right. That's what I've been hearing. Conservative control. More conservative. Because even though Kennedy was appointed by Reagan, he was a Republican, in some cases, especially when it came to uh, social issues, like abortion, like same-sex marriage, he was more left than right of center. Now, here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. We must not and we cannot allow the left to define the terms of this debate. And this is very, very important because there's a lot of our fellow Americans who really don't pay attention. Or if they do pay attention, they're being fed the, uh, the language of the left. Would you rather have, quote-unquote, somebody who is progressive... Or somebody who is a right-winger. The choice, ladies and gentlemen, is between constitutionalism and progressivism. These so-called conservatives or right-wingers on the court are constitutionalists. They take the Constitution and they try to discern what the framers and the ratifiers of the Constitution intended. They apply the language as it was used when the Constitution was adopted in Philadelphia and then ultimately ratified by the states. If there are to be changes to the Constitution, it's not up to five lawyers in black robes appointed for life to make those changes. There is an arduous process for making changes. Two-thirds of both houses of Congress, and then ultimately three-fourths of the state legislatures. Or, as we conven- convention of staters understand, uh, a, uh, a decision by the states to meet and make decisions and then ratify under the same, under the same terms. It's not up to five justices. If that had been the case, the Constitution would never, ever have been ratified by the states. And so this is a battle over the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court has taken its role from being independent to being superior to the other branches. Sometimes we like the decisions, like a wonderful decision today, uh, in which union members who work for the government are now free Americans. We'll get to that later. Uh, And yesterday, of course, on the issue of presidential authority to protect the nation and make decisions about immigration and free speech for those who don't happen to believe in abortion. 
And so sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. I don't particularly like this process. I think the court has way too much power. I wrote an entire book on it, my first book in 2005, 13 years ago, Men in Black, how the Supreme Court is destroying America. And that's why in the Liberty Amendments, I propose an amendment that empowers Congress by three-fifths vote of both houses within a two-year period to overturn a majority Supreme Court opinion, not edit it, not change it, to nullify it. And even better, alternatively, three-fifths of the state legislatures to do the same. Then you would see justices behaving like they should behave. But let's get into this very, very deeply. If you're a progressive, I use their word. I don't like their word, but that's their word. They're statists is what they are. If you're a progressive or statist, you don't even believe in the constitutional construct. You believe the Constitution was written by, adopted by, and ratified by slaveholders. You tell us this all the time. You attack separation of powers. You attack federalism. You attack the free exercise of religion. You attack many aspects of the Constitution. You want a centralized government with a massive unelected bureaucracy totally unresponsive to the will of the people unless of course you win the election and then you want it totally responsive to you and we see the violence in the street we see the protests in the streets the harassment of certain public officials that's what we see now progressivism versus constitutionalism not conservatism or right wingers or it's more conservative And so we must take the nomenclature back. We must take the language back. Progressives reject the Declaration of Independence. Natural law, the laws of nature, unalienable rights. We know this because they've told us this for more than a century. As I wrote in Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism. So they reject the principles set forth in the Declaration... They are democratic socialists. You just had one who was 28 years old win in New York as a democratic socialism. Well, the Constitution and democratic socialism, a.k.a. statism slash progressivism, cannot survive together. One of them has to give. So the progressives, the statists in the Senate and their base are insisting that the only candidates they will fully endorse for the Supreme Court are candidates who, as a matter of ideology, reject the confines of the Constitution. Now, you will not hear the media speak this way because the media are part of the problem. The media are these pseudo-reporters who are progressives. They view the Supreme Court, the progressives, mostly as a Politburo. And they want to control the Politburo, which in the end, they hope, they insist, will make the final decisions for society. No lesser a progressive intellectual than Woodrow Wilson himself. He argued different positions during the course of his life about Congress, the presidency, and the courts. But he ultimately wound up making the case that the courts are crucial, crucial in advancing the cause of progressivism, centralization, 
and uh, communities. I don't mean communities like neighborhoods. I mean groupthink. The communities of groupthink. And so this is a battle between constitutionalists and statists. That's what it's a battle over. These political terms, well, conservative, no. It's constitutionalists versus statists. Or if you prefer their language, uh, progressives. And so they view the Supreme Court not so much as a body to uphold the rule of law or the Constitution, but as the, the, the crucial governmental center to fundamentally transform America. Now, they will point to some decisions. They will point to some decisions and say, if the court hadn't done what the court did, you know, we'd be a throwback. We'd still have segregation and so forth and so on. What they will not do is point to those decisions that the Supreme Court issued that upheld slavery, Dred Scott, that upheld segregation, separation, separate but equal, Plessy versus Ferguson, that actually upheld the Japanese internment uh, that was oppressed by Democrats in Congress and their favorite Democrat president, FDR, the Korematsu decision. Roe versus Wade was a wholly political decision that has had horrific consequences. And yet that's their gold standard. Where do you stand on abortion? You better support our position on abortion. You better support it. We're absolutely intolerant. The only choice that's allowed is the choice we tell you. Because they're statists. Versus a constitutionalist who would look at the Constitution, determine whether there's anything there that provides any guidance, and if not, well, then the states get to decide these issues. Unless, of course, the states violate the federal Constitution. To which they are obliged to comply because the states adopted the federal constitution and the states adopted all of the amendments to the federal constitution. It is and was their creation. And they have bound themselves to it. So the debate here is between, I want to say it a third time, constitutionalism versus statism. And what you will see and what we always see is the Democrats... In Congress, the Democrats in the media, the Democrats in academia, the Democrats, wherever they may be, leading Democrats, they're going to go through their policy positions and their political positions. And they're going to insist that the only person who can serve on the Supreme Court is a person who agrees with their policy positions and their political positions. Because, again, they view the Supreme Court as a Politburo, not as a court per se. And they want the court to mandate their agenda. In fact, they want the court to take the radical Bernie Sanders agenda, the statist agenda, and incorporate it into the Constitution and make it the law of the land by fiat. That's what they want. That's who they are. Look at the dissents in the last 48 hours by the statists on the court. No. Public sector union members are not to have freedom. No, people who disagree with the position on abortion must carry the state line on abortion. No, people who are overseas and not even in this country yet are to be granted due process rights of a sort. 
despite no constitutional or precedential basis whatsoever. Because they're advancing the Democrat Party, the progressive agenda, which is a statist agenda. They trash the Constitution. They seek to rewrite the Constitution. They trash the men who met in Philadelphia and wrote the Constitution and adopted it. They trash the men in the various states who ratified the Constitution. And you need to keep that in mind when they talk about who they will or will not let on the Supreme Court to interpret the Constitution, to uphold the Constitution. So we are the constitutionalists. We're not right-wingers. We're not extremists. We don't seek to make the court more conservative, less conservative. We seek to have a Supreme Court that shows fidelity to the Constitution of the United States, the law of the land. And if these justices do not show fidelity to the Constitution, then why the hell should we show fidelity to their opinions? It's the Constitution that's the law of the land. I'll be right back. Mark progressives use the instrumentalities of liberty of republicanism lowercase r of constitutionalism against them so we have a supreme court under our constitution so they want to use the supreme court to change our constitution to drive us towards this sort of centralized, uh, utopian ideas that they have, which, of course, will destroy our society, as they have other societies. They view the appropriations bills the same way, the budget bills the same way, the bureaucracy the same way. You and I are trying to defend these institutions, You and I are trying to return us to a constitutional republic. You and I are trying to get those boundaries back in place between the federal government and the states and between all government and the individual. The progressive can't do that because their agenda is is so extreme, it's so impossible, it's impractical that they're never going to surrender it. Not until the last person loses the last bit of liberty they have. Not until the last person loses the last bit of individualism that they have. Not until they're able to rewrite the Constitution and create their own blueprint. A blueprint which to this day they cannot fully explain or describe to all the rest of us. But it doesn't matter. Because they are a mix of anarchists and iron fist proponents of government. And what you do when you do that is you destroy the civil society, you destroy individualism, you create balkanization, you divide a nation along all kinds of cultural, ethnic, religious, racial lines, And you pump energy 
into your agenda by ripping down and attacking, if not destroying, the status quo. Now, the status quo, I don't mean in terms of policy. I mean in terms of our constitutional republic. This is why they attack religion. You don't have to be particularly religious, but religion is a problem for the statists. Because in many ways, it substitutes government for religion. So religion is a problem. It has to be pushed out of the public square. There's nothing in the Constitution that compels pushing religion out of the public square. There was religion in the public square when the Constitution was adopted and ratified. Is the Constitution perfect? No. That's why there's an amendment process. Is the Constitution perfect? No. That's why the vast majority of decisions are supposed to be left to the individual in this country. Is the Constitution perfect? No. That's why so many decisions are supposed to be left to the states. Well, what if a state is imperfect? Well, you can change the state government or you can go to another state. Not true when you talk about a country. I've got a whole lot more I want to discuss about this as we pull it all together with the now vacancy, uh, Anthony Kennedy announcing he will be leaving in July. I'll be right back. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. logic than allowed by law. The Mark Levin Show. Call now at 877-381-3811. Alright, we're taking our time as we walk through this. So I hope you'll stay with us. How did we get to this place now where Chuck Schumer says you put off the vote Mr. President on your nominee till after the election like you forced us to do with uh, Merrick Garland. Of course, that was a presidential election. This is a midterm election. You can't keep putting off votes all the time. But the Democrats have brought us to a place now where the nomination process has been completely politicized. Because that's what they do, right? They destroy these institutions. And they do it as a matter of course. There was a piece written a little over a year ago in Town Hall by Guy Benson. And uh, he noted uh, how all this got started. So a little over a year ago, he said, uh, when the piece was published, Monday marked one of the most partisan days in the history of the United States Senate. As the body's Judiciary Committee trudged through the process of voting to advance the nomination of an eminently qualified jurist, that would be Bob Bork, 
to the full chamber for consideration strictly along party lines, reports emerged that Democrats had secured the 41 votes necessary to sustain the first partisan filibuster of a Supreme Court nominee in American history. This unprecedented escalation will almost certainly force Republicans to follow in the footsteps of previous unprecedented escalation from Democrats. Changing the Senate rules to do away with the 60-vote filibuster threshold for all presidential nominees. This partisan denouement represents an inevitable culmination of decades of bare-knuckle one-upsmanship in which Democrats have been the aggressors at nearly every turn. Tracing the current state of play back to one single moment of controversy may be difficult, but many would argue that it began with an astounding, acerbic, and demagogic 1987 floor speech by Senator Ted Kennedy, who once killed a woman against President Reagan's nominee to the high court, Robert Bork. A pitch battle ensued, led by liberal Democrats, with Bork ultimately being defeated. During the term of President George H.W. Bush, the left tried to replicate their character assassination playbook against Clarence Thomas, who was subjected to an extremely nasty and personal confirmation fight. He was eventually confirmed 52 to 48, the closest margin in more than 100 years. Now, by contrast, President Clinton's judicial nominees were confirmed at a higher rate than his predecessors, and neither of his picks for the Supreme Court faced any serious opposition. Even uber-liberal Ruth Bader Gibson, uh, Gibson, Ginsburg, who was set to alter the makeup of the court by replacing a significantly more conservative justice, was approved by an overwhelming 96-3 margin, even after the ugliness and vitriol of Democrats' treatment of Bork and Thomas. The GOP did not answer in kind. But when President George W. Bush took office in the early 2000s, Senate Democrats decided to push the envelope again. For the first time in American history, they filibustered a number of majority-supported Bush nominees to circuit and district-level courts. The most egregious example of this obstructionism targeted an exceptionally qualified nominee named Miguel Estrada. While colluding with left-wing interest groups, Democrats literally spelled out in a memo and that's in my book, Men in Black, by the way, that part of the reason they chose to block Estrada was because of his race. As a Latino, they worried, he could be groomed into a prime candidate for an eventual Supreme Court slot. Better to kill his prospects as early as possible. They filibustered him for years, ultimately resulting in his decision to withdraw his name from consideration. A disgraceful episode in which Democrats succeeded in convincing a a willing press corps to ignore their extreme partisanship and shameful racial politics and to instead focus on the scandal, quote-unquote, of who had leaked their internal memos. When Democrats continued their heretofore unforeseen practice of blocking up or down votes for majority-backed judicial nominees after the GOP regained the Senate in 2004, Republicans saber-rattled about invoking the so-called nuclear option. That is, to eliminate the filibuster, as applies to judicial nominees, and vote them up or down. The fear led to a bipartisan group of senators, seven from each party, to forge the Gang of 14 Compromise. The terms of that agreement survived a number of years until Democrats decided they could not abide the Republicans using the filibuster precedent they'd invented under Bush to thwart a limited number of Obama's picks. 
for perspective. In their respective first terms, Obama had more of his circuit court nominees confirmed than Bush did and enjoyed a better confirmation rate on district court selections than George H.W. Bush. Nevertheless, Democrats decided that the deployment of their own tactics against a Democratic president constituted a fresh justification to abolish the very practice they'd pioneered, detonating the nuclear option that many of them had invaded against when Republicans were merely considering it as a method of overcoming uh, the uh, Democrat obstructionism. Some Harry Reid defenders have argued that the former Democratic leader did everything he could to reason with Republicans to avoid going nuclear very early in Obama's second term. Not true. When Reid broke the filibuster in 2013, he claimed the Republicans could have avoided the nuclear option if they'd simply confirmed the seven appointees they'd been blocking. According to Politico, McConnell conceded to those demands to save the filibuster. At the last moment, Reid insisted the Republicans surrender the threat of filibustering any Obama appointees in the future. So Democrats single-handedly and unilaterally introduced the concept of judicial filibusters against majority-supported nominees, then proceeded to unilaterally end it all over the course of about a decade. They started the practice when they were in the minority, then blew it up when they were in the majority. That is, they started the filibuster when they were in the minority, and then blew it up when they were in the majority, just requiring a simple majority vote. Which brings us to today, which is a year ago. The piece was published a little over a year ago. And laying the groundwork to launch the first ever partisan Supreme Court filibuster. Let's see here. Democrats have whined incessantly about Republicans' refusal to consider the nomination of Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court in the final year of his term. As they laughably claim victimhood on this score, it should be noted that A, Obama had already appointed two liberals to the court by that point, neither of whom faced any serious resistance from the GOP, and B, there was ample precedent for the Senate leaving an election year vacancy open. That's a presidential election year. Indeed, that exact course of action had been advocated by Senators Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer in 1992 and 2007, respectively, when you guessed it, Republican presidents were in office. By ignoring Garland, Mitch McConnell and company were simultaneously following the Joe Biden standard and exacting the, sum, the exacting some modicum of revenge for Democrats' 2013 establishment of the poisonous nuclear Reed rule. When that latter precedent prevented Democrats from obstructing some of President Trump's cabinet members in 2017, a handful of Senate Democrats admitted they'd already come to regret going along with the Reid rule. Just as Barack Obama conveniently regretted an attempted filibuster against Justice Alito once the shoe was on the other foot. And now, wouldn't you know it, they've turned around to embrace another unprecedented escalation. He says, while Republicans are not entirely blameless in these wars, as the GOP has inflamed tensions at various stages along the way, often through various forms of retaliation, but the broad strokes record is clear. The Democratic Party has been exclusively and repeatedly responsible for the biggest provocations over the span of decades. They've insisted upon an ever-changing set of standards under which they get their way, whether they are in or out of power. 
They've sought to impose special restrictions on Republicans, shamelessly changing the rules of the game when the roles are reversed. Modeling better behavior has not succeeded in shaming them. Targeted retaliation has not chastened them. They have increasingly approached these battles as zero-sum blood feuds, whereas Republicans have naively believed that honoring Senate traditions, with some turnabout sprinkled in, would dissuade their opponents from future provocations. The Garland episode, because I keep bringing it up, that's why I'm reading this to you. The Garland episode was an important turning point when the GOP finally force-fed Democrats a taste of their own medicine. And boy, did they hate it. And thus, a zero-sum fight, waged lopsidedly by one party for years, was at last fully engaged. With their enraged base seething with blind fury, Democrats are now on the precipice of one final escalation. Democrats began and endlessly advanced this partisan war, but the time has come for Republicans to end it, he says. Confirm Neil Gorsuch with a simple majority. Confirm President Trump's next Supreme Court selection or selections with simple majorities. Move the court to the right and do what it takes to stack as many lower courts as possible with conservative judges, I would argue, constitutionalists. That was the purpose of the 2013 Reed Rule power grab. And it worked. When President Obama entered office, just one of the nation's 13 circuit courts of appeals had a Democratic majority. When he left office, that number had swelled to nine. The era of Senate comedy in such matters, long gone. We've seen the lengths to which the Democrats will go to gain an advantage in these high-stakes ideological fights. And that will never change. Republicans are left with no choice but to embrace the Democrats' brand of hardball. Anything less would amount to unilateral disarmament, which, given the history of uh, recapitulated above, it's no longer acceptable. Whether through Harry Reid's nuclear option or other procedural means, the GOP must get the job done. After years of sustaining blow after blow, it's time for Republicans to join the Democrat-instigated street fight and start landing some roundhouses of their own. Excellent piece over a year ago, April 2017, by Guy Benson in Town Hall. And I agree with it completely. I agree with it completely. Because for the progressives, like Marxists, the ends justify the means. You pack the court any way you can. You can be inconsistent, you can become hypocrites. Just pack the court any way you can. That's their position. Now, we are on a higher moral ground. We should pack the court, too. But we're seeking to pack the court with people who will uphold the Constitution, who will interpret the Constitution, not eviscerate it. There is a moral difference between constitutionalism and statism slash progressivism. That is, the constitutionalist, by his or her very name, is trying to discern what is intended in the language in the Constitution. What did the framers mean? What did the ratifiers mean? Whereas the progressive could really care less what the framers or the ratifiers meant, unless they can somehow spin it or construe it to advance their radical notions. So for them, once again, the Supreme Court is akin to a Politburo. To us, it's not. It's nine lawyers who have an obligation to faithfully uphold the Constitution of the United States, like their oath says. I'll be right back.
I've got a lot more to discuss here, including the left's attacks. You're about to hear my printer, which is really screwed up. But anyway, I'll tell you about Hillsdale College. Is there any place that teaches young adults to seek what is true, beautiful, and good? To even understand what those things mean. How about understanding the principle that all men are created equal? Or why America is the world's freest nation? You know, there is a place where students study these things. It's called Hillsdale College. And by putting in the work to understand essential truths, students graduate ready to lead in any field of their choosing. As Vice President Pence said at commencement this year, Hillsdale students learn not what to do, but what to be. Hillsdale also offers its stellar education to you, too, through the free monthly subscription to Imprimus and in free online courses like Constitution 101. In fact, every American can learn like a Hillsdale student from the same professors. And most remarkably of all, Hillsdale provides this service to our nation without taking a single penny of taxpayer money. Not one penny. I encourage you to learn how Hillsdale can serve you at a website just for you, my beloved audience. That's levinforhillsdale.com. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. And by the way, just very quickly, in the second hour, I want to even dig more deeply into this Supreme Court stuff and what drives those who want to fundamentally transform America and use the court and what drives us to defend our institutions because that's what we're doing. We're defending our institutions. But before we get to that and the crazy leftists who are all worked up, they're always worked up. We have this election in New York This guy, Joe Crowley, who most of America never heard of, he's been in the House 20 years. He's the number fourth in the line of leadership. He's an ally of Nancy Pelosi's. He lost his primary. Joseph Crowley lost his primary to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, an avowed Democratic Socialist. She belongs to the Democratic Socialists of America. 28,000 people voted. She got a little over 16,000. Crowley got a little over 11,000. 28,000 people voted. She got about 5,000 more votes than he did. And this is said to be an earthquake. Do you want to know the real reason she got 5,000 more votes than he did? Anybody want to know the truth about this? That's because the district has become more Hispanic. Crowley was worried about that when they were redistricting these various congressional districts because New York lost one or two seats and even hired a lobbyist to go to Albany, the capital of New York, to try and save his district. Not, and he was a poor campaigner. He didn't campaign in most of these communities. He wouldn't debate her. She got her base out. The district has grown increasingly Hispanic. And the turnout in that community was significant enough to help defeat Crowley. That's what happened in that district. Now, the entire analysis all day has been about how the the progressives, they, that's what they call socialists and Marxists, of course, have beat the establishment Democrats. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
Or I like this one, the pragmatic Democrats. So the radical leftists who lead the Democrat Party in the House and Senate are now pragmatic Democrats fighting with the socialists in their party. Ladies and gentlemen, they're all socialists at the top of that party. They're all socialists pretty much running for office in that party. Crowley lost, not because of some great earthquake. Crowley lost because of the demographics. And more and more Democrats like him are going to lose in these inner city areas where there's a dense population, where migrants are increasingly settled, becoming legalized and citizens. And so Joe Crowley got bitten in the ass. I'll be right back. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877 more on this Supreme Court issue. I just heard the question asked from a uh, friend on the Fox News channel. Does the President of the United States want to reverse Roe versus Wade? Does he want a, a justice who will do that? And you see, this is the uh, the swamp here. This is the this is the problem. This is the quicksand. The president wants somebody who is going to reverse Roe versus Wade. The president has a list. It's been long established. It's been out there for reporters to look at. You have several ju- uh, judges on this list who've served on the courts of appeal who may or may not have ruled on this issue. But even more, it's the president's responsibility to nominate somebody, he doesn't appoint anybody, to nominate somebody who's going to uphold the Constitution. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Rather than put out all the left-wing talking points so they can rile up their base, 
It's also an appropriate time for you and me to point out these are the same media types, the same pseudo-media types, the same Democrats and so forth, who've been claiming for the last two weeks that they stand for babies and little kids. Well, it's time to point out their hypocrisy and wrap it around their necks. When it comes to illegal alien children, we have federal judges intervening. You better bring them together with their family within 14 to 30 days, said a federal district judge today. But when it comes to abortion, the permanent separation of baby from mother, baby from parents, then it's a choice. Where is the morality here? And we should bring it up. We should duke these things out intellectually. But we don't. They run and hide. We don't want to lose the woman. (laughs) No, we don't want to do that. Left doesn't care. They just plow ahead. They impose their will on the American people. Now, I have before me the list of 25, one of whom is already on the Supreme Court, Neil Gorsuch, that the president issued. Let me be abundantly clear about this. The main reason constitutional conservatives voted for Donald Trump was this. Not taxes. Not regulations. Not even immigration. The courts. Even more specifically, the United States Supreme Court. You realize if the never-Trumpers had had their way, Hillary Clinton would be making these decisions today. We wouldn't have Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. Wouldn't be discussing the possible constitutionalists that Donald Trump will nominate. The damage would be irreparable. Unreversible. That is how irresponsible these never-Trumpers are and were. And you ought to Keep a list of who they are and were. Some of them now pretend that they weren't. That in the general election, they pretend that they did in fact vote for Trump or they're hush about the fact that they didn't vote for Trump. They should be called out for this. This is a big deal. You can back another candidate in the primary, but in the end, as we did for at least two full months, In the general election, we tried to rally to support Donald Trump for president of the United States. And one of the things that Donald Trump, the would-be president, did is put this list together. And it still didn't persuade the never-Trumpers to support him for president. Pretty incredible. They were prepared, prepared to lose the court, to lose the judiciary, to lose so much because they were having a temper tantrum. Now, there are a number of good candidates on the list. I happen to note that uh, Leonard Leo, a friend of mine at the Federalist Society, is obviously pushing Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh is on the Court of Appeals appeals for the District of Columbia. He was an assistant uh, independent counsel under Ken Starr. I'm not particularly impressed with Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, If the president chooses him, I hope he will be as solid as as Gorsuch. I don't know that. But he's not 
that particularly impressive to me. Another gentleman on the list is from the Third Circuit. He comes out of Pennsylvania. His name is Thomas Hardiman. I'm very impressed with Thomas Hardiman. He's on the Court of Appeals, as I said, for the Third Circuit. It's a very liberal circuit. But he's been quite solid, Thomas Hardiman. Now, I don't pretend to know the backgrounds of all of them. Raymond Grudner. I happen to know this circuit court judge, Grudner, Raymond Grudner, on the Eighth Circuit. When it comes to jurisprudence, he's solid as a rock. When it comes to jurisprudence. One of the most spectacular judges in the country is a gentleman by the name of Bill Pryor. Bill Pryor sits on the Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit. Bill Pryor was the Attorney General of Alabama. I know him personally. These are lifetime appointments, folks. Bill Pryor would be a tremendous Supreme Court justice, and we'd have to fight like hell to get him, but that's okay with virtually anyone on this list because the Democrats are targeting everybody on this list. But Pryor would be exceptional. There's another gentleman on the list I'm generally familiar with, Thomas Rex Lee. Sound a little bit familiar? Rex Lee was the Solicitor General, first one in the Reagan administration. He had a son, had several sons, but son by the name of Thomas Rex Lee. He is an Associate Justice on the Utah Supreme Court. He'd be outstanding. But I prefer his younger brother, Senator Mike Lee. And I want to strongly encourage the President of the United States to pick Senator Mike Lee. I said that on a wonderful local program on WMAL in Washington, D.C. on the Larry O'Connor Show. Larry's a dear friend of mine. He asked me to come on at 3 p.m. Eastern, and I said, he said, well, who would you like? I said, Mike Lee. And I'll tell you why. The others I mentioned would be outstanding, too. Please, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But we all know Mike Lee. We all know Mike Lee. We all know he doesn't bow to the mob. We all know he doesn't genuflect to the media. We all know vote after vote after vote on the floor of the United States Senate. He's been solid as a rock. He was a clerk on the Supreme Court to Associate Justice Sam Alito who I've also known for years. I haven't seen him lately, but I knew him when he was uh, working over there at the Department of Justice when I was. So Lee has the pedigree to do this. His father, his clerkship under a wonderful justice, and you and I know him from experience. And it wouldn't be the first time a United States senator was appointed to the Supreme Court. It wouldn't be the first time. And I think he'd be outstanding on the Supreme Court. But the others I mentioned are absolutely terrific possibilities, too. And, and, and others who I don't know, if the president should choose them, we'll do a quick check. I'm sure they're quite good, too. 
But it's not enough for me to say, well, the Federalist Society is great. I'm a member of the Federalist Society. But I still think for myself. And there are really great candidates there. Let me put it to you this way. There are the plums of the plum list. If you understand my point, the best of the best. That we should seriously consider here. Also, the individuals I named are relatively young. Relatively young. You don't want somebody who's well into their 60s or something of that sort. Why? Because, again, these are lifetime appointments. Mike Lee was born in 1971. He's a young man. We should keep that in mind. Bill Pryor was born in 1962. He's a young man. We should keep that in mind. Raymond Grudner was born in 1963. Same thing. Thomas Hardiman, 1965. So they're all right there in the zone when it comes to age and so forth. That's my two cents worth. But when we come back, more on the philosophy and the importance of this decision, this choice, and the great divide between those of us who revere and embrace the Constitution and the other side that does not. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Bill Shine, formerly of uh, Fox News, for his appointment to serve as a senior communications uh, official, maybe communications director, I don't know all the titles, to the President of the United States. I've known Bill Shine for many, many years. He's a thoroughly decent person, a wonderful family man, and extremely sharp. And I know he will do everything he can to help the President of the United States and will serve with a great distinction. Uh, so the president, I believe, has made a very, very wise choice. A very, very wise choice. All right. Let's get into this a little more. The statist versus the constitutionalist. What is it that they want? Well, we know generally what they want, don't we? We've talked about it for years and thought about it for years. But you hear them talk about liberty. You hear their senators talk about liberty. You hear their... You hear their... Uh, their media mouthpieces talk about liberty. In fact, let us first listen to some of their media mouthpieces and how they're freaking out over this. First, the DNC Rules Committee was on a live call when the news broke that Justice Kennedy would retire. Hat tip NTK Network. Listen to this. Cut three. It's Donna Brazil. Go. This is not good news to the left. You know, I'm watching conservatives, some, some are pseudo-conservatives, praising Justice Kennedy. I'm not praising Justice Kennedy. He had some horrific decisions. 
Some very good ones, but some horrific decisions. Chuck Schumer on the floor of the Senate today calls for blocking any Supreme Court nominee vote till after the election. Chuck Schumer is one of the most unprincipled individuals in the United States government, advancing his ideology at all costs. And so you'll hear more and more the left talk about putting this off like they did with Merrick Garland. Again, that was a presidential election. And I read to you the extensive piece that had been written by Guy Benson at Town Hall a little over a year ago, in which he laid out all the contortions uh, and uh, pretzel making that the Democrats went through in order to get what they wanted. And finally, finally, the Republicans put an end to it. Anyway, here's Schumer today. Cut four, go. The Senate should reject on a bipartisan basis any justice who would overturn Roe v. Wade or undermine key health care protections. The Senate should reject anyone who will instinctively side with powerful special interests over the interests of average Americans. Our Republican colleagues in the Senate should follow the rule they set in 2016. So first of all, he lays out his political and policy agenda. So anyone who doesn't agree with Chuck Schumer and the Democrat Party and the political and policy agenda for them is not qualified to be on the Supreme Court. So that would be all of you and should be rejected. So that's the tyranny of the left of Chuck Schumer and the Democrat Party. Go ahead. Not to consider a Supreme Court justice in an election year. Senator McConnell would tell anyone who listened that the Senate had the right to advise and consent. And that was every bit as important as the president's right to nominate. Millions of people are just months away from determining the senators who should vote to confirm or reject the president. Of course, that wasn't his point. It was about the president. But Schumer, it doesn't it doesn't matter to Schumer. Schumer's been all over the map. His goal is just to stuff the court with radical status. That's all. Go ahead. And their voices deserve to be heard now, as Leader McConnell thought they should deserve to be heard then. Anything but that would be the absolute height of We do not lead lectures from Chuck Schumer on hypocrisy. Because he is Mr. Hypocrisy. The hypocrisy of Chuck Schumer giving lectures on hypocrisy is quite ironic. But he goes through a couple of their main issues that any nominee who doesn't support Obamacare, who doesn't support partial birth abortion, uh, and therefore support special interest groups over the average American, uh, well, then they should be rejected out of hand. No, no such person should ever be nominated. So no constitutionalist should ever be nominated, according to Chuck Schumer. And more than that, never during an election cycle. Not a presidential election cycle, not a midterm election cycle. He was for filibustering Supreme Court justices. He was against filibustering Supreme Court justices. He was for filibustering circuit court nominees. He's against filibustering circuit court nominees. He was against blocking Garland, Merrick Garland, during the course of a presidential election. Now he's for blocking a possible nomination by the president during a midterm election. Chuck Schumer is drunk on progressivism. 
He's an absolute buffoon. And the Republicans must, and I believe will, roll him. I fear the likes of a Susan Collins, of an Elisa Murkowski, and some of the others. Some of the other Benedict Arnolds, or Betty Arnolds, within the Republican Party. Uh, And you need to keep an eye on them. Because they have no problem whatsoever, or Jeff Flake for that matter, no problem whatsoever in sinking a nomination, being heralded by the left and the media and all the rest, uh, as they do with their narcissism and egoism. I'll be right back. Him for middle ground? There is no middle ground. Talk with Mark Levin now at 877-381-3811. Would you pay your hard-earned money to join an organization that fought tooth and nail for Obamacare? How about an organization that scripted portions of White House speeches behind closed doors to ensure the passage of Obamacare? Or an organization that stood against tax cuts for middle-class Americans and small business owners? Would you join an organization like that? Would you pay dues to an organization like that? Then don't join the AARP. Join AMAC, the conservative alternative instead, like I did. AMAC offers an alternative to just about every benefit and discount that the AARP offers, but without the liberal agenda. And they have, AMAC does, great discounts and benefits. Become an AMAC member right now at amac.us. Wouldn't you rather belong to an organization that fights for your values, like protecting our borders and enforcing our immigration laws, supporting small businesses, standing up for your individual God-given rights? AMAC is the way to go. There's a ton of work to be done, and AMAC is asking that you help them fight the good fight by becoming a member today, plus have access to their terrific discounts and benefits. They are great, and the cause is even greater. So join right now as you hear my voice. It's amac.us, amac.us, because AMAC is better, better for you, and better for America. All right. Chris Matthews was on MSLSD today. I think he was sober, just I don't know. It's hard to tell. And here comes the scaremongering and the fearmongering. We've had weeks now of... The racist hot button, the anti-immigrant hot button, the separating children from parents hot button. Now we get to the abortion hot button. Chris Matthews on MSLSD today. Cut five. Go. This uh, this Supreme Court, this 5-4 court has been pro-Republican, pro-gun, pro-money and against immigration, anti-immigrant, anti-immigrant, if you will. And I think the Democrats, as I said a few moments ago, have to fight this tooth and nail. They have to use every process opportunity. They have to stop this until next year when we have a new Senate. We don't know whether next year's Senate will be Republican or Democratic dominated. But to give this to the Republicans when they control the Senate, basically 51 or 50 to 49, really, with John McCain, perhaps not voting again, to give them this last chance to pack the court 5-4 again, hard conservative. I, again, I say this. The base will attack the leadership for this if they allow it to happen, and they should, because this is time for vengeance for what happened two years ago. And if they don't wreak the vengeance now with four and a half weeks, four and a half months to go before the election, they will not look very strong to their base. And I think they'll be under attack and you'll see more Joe Crowley's go down. So Chris Matthews pushing for vengeance. 
Chris Matthews, who is unencumbered with actual facts. Doesn't matter. He's slobbering all over the place. As a matter of fact, don't you feel like you have to take a shower after this guy's spittle is all over your screen? But he wasn't done. Cut six. Go. Well, I don't think the Democrats should uh, allow even meetings to occur with Trump's nominee who to fill this vacancy by Justice Kennedy. All of a sudden, where's the bipartisanship? Where's the Washington of old that this clown wrote about with Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan? They trashed Bork. They trashed Clarence Thomas. They've trashed our people for decades. This is brass knuckle time. President must nominate a constitutionalist and the Republicans must push this person through for the sake of the nation. For the sake of what's left of the Constitution. Go ahead. Eye for an eye for what happened in 16, where the Republicans led by Mitch McConnell refused to even consider or even meet with Merrick Garland. I think if the Democratic leadership under Schumer allows this to go forward, they're going to have a huge problem with the Democratic base. Oh, woe is me. The Democratic base, which is as nuts as nuts can be. Speaking of more Chris Matthews, cut seven, go. Well, certainly if the president, uh, Trump, does what he tends to do, pick a conservative. And remember when I interviewed him in Green Bay back in Not a conservative idiot, a constitutionalist. And they won't say constitutionalist because then you're picking a constitutionalist. And what's the opposite of that? You're picking somebody who's not a constitutionalist. Go ahead. A woman's right to choose. He said there needs to be some form of punishment. Some form of punishment were his words for a woman who chooses. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. What about ripping children from their mother, their parents? What happened to that? Oh, now we're talking about abortion. They're not children. They're, they're, forget it. We're talking about choices now. Choices. All of a sudden. All of a sudden, we flip. All of a sudden, no more compassion. The reality is. We know these are babies, and we know they can survive several months before they're actually born. But it doesn't matter. They won't come to grips with science, real science. They're busy chasing climate change. But how about changing, uh, chasing real science? They don't want to talk about it. Instead, it's, uh, it's their hot-button issue, their hottest of hot-button issues. And now, you can only pick somebody for the Supreme Court who agrees with partial birth abortion, abortion on demand, at the very last moment before birth. So much for the children. Go ahead. His, his views on this are somewhat frightening, his instinctive views. And to be, allow him to pick another Supreme Court justice is frightening. I've thought for a while that... Oh, you- frightening. Clarence Thomas is frightening. Neil Gorsuch is frightening. John Roberts is frightening. Sam Alito, frightening. You want to know frightening? That's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Now that's frightening. Go ahead. Roe v. Wade was secure. Ah, I don't shut th- up, you idiot. Now on to the next idiot. The legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin. That would be two O's. Jeffrey Tubin, the legal analyst over at CNN, the Constipated News Network. Let's hear what this genius had to say. Cut eight, go. I think sometimes we talk about Supreme Court too much in abstractions about dignity and who's qualified and who's not qualified. Let's talk facts. Let's talk about what America is going to be like that's different. 
Now, this is his equivalent of Ted Kennedy's Bork speech. Go ahead. 20 states pass laws banning abortion outright, just banning abortion. And because they know that there are now going to be five votes on the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. And abortion will be illegal in a significant part of the United States. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you this. Whatever your views on or the, uh, uh, of this are, the court is not going to ban abortion. Some of you have hopes that it will. It won't. Some of you have fears that it will. It won't. It will allow more limitations because in so many respects, it's open-ended. And it's inhumane. And it's immoral when you're talking about living human beings. You know, I'm an animal lover. I talk about it all the time and try and protect animals and so forth. Well, we have an obligation to protect our babies, too. The same people who moralize about separating babies and toddlers from their parents when they come here illegally, they don't moralize about this. How come they were quoting evangelicals? How come they were quoting religious organizations on the separation of children from parents? Just 72 hours ago, 48 hours ago. How come they're not quoting those same exact organizations and personages that they were quoting 42 hours, uh, 48 hours ago, two days ago? Why aren't the media doing that? Because the media are driven, the pseudo media are driven by politics, policy and ideology. So the same arguments about humanity and compassion And look at these religious figures speaking out. They're not going to go back to those religious figures. And they're not going to go back to those arguments about humanity. And compassion either. Go ahead. In 18 months. There is just no doubt about that. And that's why these seats matter so much. Uh, Because um, they, 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 you know, one of my favorite lines about the Supreme Court was by Justice Robert Jackson, uh, who served on the court in the 1940s and 50s. And he said, we are not final because we are infallible. We are infallible because we are final. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. And yet, these are the people who believe in an all-powerful court system, particularly the Supreme Court, to advance their agenda. The progressives. They've said so for over a century. And when I proposed an amendment to the Constitution as part of the Liberty Amendments, that would not give the court the final word. That three-fifths of the House and three-fifths of the Senate can vote on a resolution to overturn and hold null and void a Supreme Court decision, I'm attacked. When I say three-fifths of the state legislatures can do the same thing again within a two-year period, I'm going to tell you, oh, that's radical, absolutely radical. And yet, listen to this guy, what he just said. He quotes Robert Jackson, Associate Justice Robert Jackson, who was an excellent justice. And by the way, Rehnquist had clerked for him. For the same point. These people are flesh and blood, ladies and gentlemen. They're fellow citizens. They happen to be lawyers. They don't have to be lawyers to be on the Supreme Court under the Constitution, but they all are. They're fallible. And so when the left doesn't like a decision, they smear them and they smear the court, fine. But if you ask them if they'll return power back to Congress or back to the state legislatures, they'll reject it. Because so much of the advancement of the progressive agenda has been through the Supreme Court. 
And they run to these courts all the time when they want to block Trump and so forth. Go ahead, please. He has the last word, and here it's the Supreme Court, and Roe v. Wade is doomed. It is gone because Donald Trump— No, it's not. It's not doomed. There may be some states that want to adjust the policies, but it's not doomed. I know, I know. They want their choice. I know, I know. Suddenly, these aren't babies, despite the science. I would love to debate these people. They won't come on. I would love to debate Tubin. I thought you guys believed in science. Now you're a science denier. Is that a baby at eight months and 29 days, or isn't it? Is it or isn't it? Do you support abortion at that point? Most of the radicals do. Well, how do you justify that, given modern science, given modern scientific abilities? How do you justify that? We see the baby on sonograms. We know medically it can survive. We know medically it is, in fact, a baby. If it, once it moves down the birthing canal, you can, it's a physical baby outside the mother's womb. There is no rationale for their position. They are ideologically driven. And yet you talk about separating children from their parents for a period of time who come here illegally and you're Hitler. Tell me what's more like Hitler. I'm quite serious. Partial birth abortion? In the last minutes? The last days? Before birth? Or temporarily separating people Because you're trying to figure out if the adults are criminals or mass murderers or whatever they are. I said something I'm not allowed to say, didn't I, Mr. Producer? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, they keep pushing this guy, Adam Putnam, who's been running millions and millions of dollars in Florida for the Republican nomination. He is a moderate establishment Republican who's done nothing but run for office since he was 22 years old. And he's trying to convince Republicans and conservatives in the state of Florida that he's a conservative. He is not. He is heavily financed by special interests like the sugar lobby. And he wants to be governor. That's why he left the House of Representatives and he moved over to uh, run for Secretary of Agriculture, which is what he is now, in order to build those networks with the special interests. Ron DeSantis has been a leading conservative in the House of Representatives, but he hasn't spent his life running for office. Before that, he served in the United States military in Iraq at Guantanamo as a Marine. And uh, just exceptional down the line on this FBI scandal, on, uh, on Israel, on a whole number of issues, on spending, on taxes. He's been one of Donald Trump's greatest supporters in the House of Representatives, which is exactly why Donald Trump has come out and endorsed him in the Republican primary. So you folks in Florida, and we are heard all over the state of Florida, I have endorsed DeSantis, Sean Hannity has endorsed DeSantis, Donald Trump has endorsed DeSantis, Conservatives from all walks of life should get behind his campaign. He's now starting to spend money on TV commercials because Adam Putnam was able to raise far more 
than he was because, again, of the sugar money and all this other special interest money pouring into Putnam's campaign. I'm sick and tired of these phonies. I'm sick and tired of them. I'm a conservative. I'm a fiscal conservative. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. The rhinos are laughing. All the rhino politicians in the state of Florida have endorsed Putnam. That should tell you plenty. DeSantis would be superb. I know he would be. So please take heed in what people are telling you about this. Don't be, don't be bamboozled by the enormous amount of ads being run by Putnam. I was there four, five, six weeks ago as endless as ads, just endless, trashing DeSantis, building himself up as a conservative. This is what they do. It's like carpet bombing, these political ads. You know, if you shower or brush your teeth or try to make your hair look presentable, here's some good news. Dollar Shave Club has a lot of stuff to help you out. Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. Shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, everything. All of Dollar Shave Club's products are made with top-shelf ingredients that won't break your budget. You'll feel the difference. Plus, shipping is free with your membership. And here's a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's products. Just five bucks. You can get their daily essential starter kit. It comes with amber, lavender, calming, buddy cleanser, their world-famous shave butter, and their best razor, the six-blade executive. Keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month and add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need. Comes right to your door. Check it all out at dollarshaveclub.com slash mark dollarshaveclub.com slash mark guys I'm telling you you won't go back if you try this it's dollarshaveclub.com slash mark and gals you can order this for your husband for your boyfriend do it you can do it for them you know it's dollarshaveclub.com slash mark and the cost is really quite quite small quite frankly and the convenience is incredible and the products are incredible dollarshaveclub.com slash mark there are a lot of other issues out there but I'm going to tempt fate as we go into hour three I've done a lot of lecturing a lot of talking about history about philosophy about the court and in the next hour I want to talk about and we've touched on this before when you hear Bernie Sanders or this latest socialist Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who Mr. Producer is going to try and get on the show tomorrow. Aren't you, Rich? Emails out. We're going to try and get her. When you hear them talk about liberty and so forth and so on, how can they talk about liberty when all they ever talk about is a massive government, even more massive than the existing government? I mean, what does that mean? There's a huge warning that just came out about the debt today. Did you hear that? In just a few years... The fiscal operating debt. I'm not even talking about down-the-road debt, the full debt for unfunded liabilities, which is well over $200 trillion right now. Can you imagine that? The fiscal operating debt, we're reaching the point where it's going to be 100% of the gross domestic product. Think about that. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the underground command post. 
deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, I decided that I don't think we can handle three hours of deep-sea diving, and I should split it up over the course of various programs, so I'm not going to get into the issue of liberty. I've touched on it in the past. I will not get into it tonight, but we'll get into it. There's plenty of time down the road, and I don't mean far down the road, because this issue of uh, nomination and confirmation or not of a Supreme Court justice is going to go on for at least a few months, and it will be a battle, and we will be engaged This is Radio Free America right here. And we intend to do battle. This is in our zone, you and me. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a democratic socialist, self-identified, and therefore celebrated by the media, all over the media today. On the morning schmo show, you know, if somebody ran for office and they won and they were a Democratic fascist. Odd name, right? Well, so is democratic socialism. It's oxymoronic, but they they get away with it. How about a democratic fascism for America? Do you think they would be celebrated by the media? Of course not. So why is this woman celebrated by the media? Because they agree with her, that's why. Now, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of the Democrat Socialists of America, soon to be at least a uh, potentially, probably, the congressperson from that particular district. I believe it's the 14th Congressional District in New York. She's got a few ideas, and Willie Geist is the man to get to the bottom of it on the morning schmo. Cut 13, go. A couple of other uh, items on your policy agenda that you made very clear throughout. Medicare for all, mm-hmm. federal jobs guarantee, mm-hmm. and tuition-free public universities and trade schools. Now, let's just stop there. So, Medicare for all, federal jobs guarantee. If you don't have a job, you get a federal job. And tuition-free public universities and trade schools. Isn't that cool? How do you pay for this stuff? Even if you could do it, which we shouldn't, how do you pay for it? Tax the rich. There aren't enough rich, and they don't have enough money to pay for all this. You're talking about, over a period of years, trillions of dollars on top of trillions of dollars already that were in the hole. Go ahead. To a lot of people, like promises of gifts under the mm-hmm. tree, mm-hmm. but they wonder how they'll be paid for. Now you're yeah. in a position to carry these out. How, at a time when the CBO says our debts and deficits are exploding and are going to cripple us, mm-hmm. how do you pay for things like that? It's a, it's, a, it's an excellent question. First of all, I think we need to kind of look at at the damaging history, legislative history of what we've done with our taxes. Not only had, did we have a 400 billion dollar GOP tax cut that could have actually forgiven every single federal student loan in a America. We spent that That's money. actually not true. The federal student loans in America are $1.2 trillion. And why would, why would we forgive them? So somebody takes out a loan and now you and I are going to forgive the loans? Is that how the country works? 
You're going to forgive the loans. What happens to the financial institution? So the federal government will pay off everybody's student loan. How about their car loans? How about if somebody didn't go to college? You know, uh, over 65% of our fellow Americans don't go to college and never went to college. So you are now going to pay off those who went to college and got student loans. Is that what democratic socialism means? Next, go ahead. And we spent it on tax cuts for the corporations and the very rich. But it means reviewing the Bush tax cuts. It means the uh, Bush tax cuts. Now, that was quite a while ago. Now, how are we going to review the Bush tax cuts? Go ahead. That also that we understand the power of the purse that Congress has that, uh, you know, when, when the United States was in the Great Depression, that is when we pursued uh, a, the New Deal. Oh, was- I can't wait to talk to her. So when we had the Great Depression, that's when we had the New Deal. Actually, we had a recession that turned into a depression. With left wing kook policies that resulted in a depression, a depression that lasted 10 years. That should have never happened, period. Go ahead. Precisely said, we have the least amount of ability to do this, that we actually committed to an economically ambitious agenda that transformed the future in the course of this nation. And meanwhile, her heroes have stolen every cent out of these Social Security trust funds and the Medicare trust funds and driven up the national debt to over $200 trillion. What's her solution? Please come on the show. Please, please, please. Pretty, please, please. Go ahead. It is absolutely possible, but what it takes is the political courage to do it. So what we lack is political courage to spend money and create debt and redistribute wealth. I guess that's, that's, is that what I hear? So Guy says to raise taxes, to roll back the tax cuts. Go ahead. Taxes to roll back the tax cuts, and, and not only and not only that, but also understand that um, that the federal government does have the ability, uh, in the similar way that, that we had in the New Deal, to to spearhead some of the, this agenda and some of that financing as well. What does that mean exactly? More debt? Well, I hope to to have her on the program so we can pursue this. But there's more of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She was not only on MSLNSD, she was on the Constipated News Network. She was on uh, Airport Radar, Sonogram. She was everywhere celebrating the 28-year-old ignoramus. I mean, uh, Democratic Socialist. Go ahead. Well, we absolutely absolutely do need to make sure that our borders are secure, to make sure that people are safe in passage. And how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we secure our borders and make sure people are safe in passage? Go ahead. What need to realize and remember is that ICE was established in 2003, right at the same time as the Patriot Act. So ICE was established in 2003, the same time as the Patriot Act. Here we go with the kook conspiracy stuff. Maybe so. But before ICE, we had the INS. Did they want to get rid of the INS too? The Immigration and Naturalization Service? So now we're smearing ICE. ICE, which protects us, which protects our border. ICE is the problem. Not illegal immigrants, not drug cartels, not terrorists, not MS-13. ICE is the problem. Go ahead. 
the Iraq war. And we look back at a lot of that time and legislation as a, as a mistake now. And I think that ICE is right there as a part of it. It has um, extra, its extrajudicial nature is baked in to the structure of the agency. Extrajudicial nature? Does she mean constitutional rights conveyed on foreigners who come into the country illegally? They get certain constitutional rights, but they don't have the full panoply of constitutional rights. They're here illegally. Go ahead. Why they're able to get away with You know what I would ask her? Do you believe in free education for illegal immigrants? Do you believe in free Medicare for illegal immigrants? So open borders, massive welfare state, expansion of the massive welfare state, more debt, more redistribution of wealth. Does that not sound like a society that would collapse in a relative short period of time? Go ahead. With black sites at our border, with the separation of children. Whoa, 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 whoa. We have black sites at our border? Black sites at our border with the separation of children? Go ahead. Um, we, are, we are committing human rights abuses on this border and separating children from their families. And uh, that, you know, is, is part of the structure of the agency. We can replace it and we can replace it. It's not it. part of the structure of the agency. The agency does what the agency is told to do. Federal court ruling in 1997. Under the circumstances, you either detain the entire family or you separate the adults from the children. Does she feel like our prison system is a human rights violation, too? Please come on the show. Please, please, please. Go ahead. Main agency that is directed towards safe passage what do you instead mean of the black direction sites? of the criminalization. What do you mean black Pardon? sites? What do you mean about black well, ice, like black sites? So I was just... Yes, yes. So actually, we were just hopping off MSNBC. And, Whoa, and- you can't mention MSLSD on the Constipated News Network. Oh, they're both competing for the radical left kook viewership. Go ahead. Talking about it. Basically, what we have is that people are not able to access, even our own members of Congress are not able to access what is happening in these sites. Um, and that in and of itself is... Well, then how do you know there are concentration camps and internment camps and all the rest of it? How do you know that? Go ahead. And when we know that that children are being kept and that human rights abuses are happening in in without uh, any sort of transparency. Human rights abuses are happening. Can you name the people who are suffering from human rights abuses under the old Clinton slash Obama policies that were inherited by Trump? Go ahead. That is where we're at right now. That is simply what is Um, happening. Well, there we are, a genius. Another socialist in Congress, and we're supposed to believe that, wow, they just elected a socialist. What do you consider most of these people in Congress on the Democrat side? They abandoned capitalism a long time ago. She's just honest about it. I am part of the Democratic Socialists of America, running against a big slob who didn't campaign aggressively, and whose district has, in fact, demographically changed and is far more Hispanic than it was when he was first elected 20 years ago. And he was worried about that. And he sent a lobbyist to Albany to try and make sure his district was protected. The media aren't reporting that. They want you to think, wow, we have the pragmatic Democrat leadership and now the socialists. 
So all of a sudden, the leftists like Pelosi, the San Francisco treat, as she used to be called, now she's a pragmatic Democrat. She carried Obama's water, his left-wing agenda, but now she's a pragmatic Democrat. Whereas this kook, and she is a kook, she's, she's really changed the party. Is she not a kook? Was she questioned aggressively? No. Celebrate it from one media network to the next. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. District Court, Eastern District of Virginia, T.S. Ellis III. I'm familiar with him. Remember, everybody got very excited because he was questioning members of the special counsel's office, Mueller's office, who were before him in court. And Judge Ellis was very sternly saying, aren't you just trying to pinch Manafort to turn on the president? Isn't this about impeachment? And what is your authority? And I demand to see your appointment authority. And I can see it in closed session and so forth and so on. Everybody gets it. Wow. This T.S. Ellis III, not to be confused with T.S. Ellis II, he's really something. And I said, be careful. I said it here. I said it on Levin TV. And I said it on Hannity's show on Fox. I said, watch out for this guy. Watch out for this guy. He could be all talk, and I suspect that he is. Well, he is all talk. And he threw out the Manafort legal team's arguments about scope, the scope of Mueller's investigation. Then he added a footnote on Professor Calabrese's point about the appointments clause, even though that wasn't before him. And I suppose he didn't want it before him. And what was a very almost childish, foolish, thin reply to Calabrese's point, which is also my point, citing Morrison versus Olson and giving no attention whatsoever to the actual facts of the Rosenstein appointment of Mueller. This is why you have appellate courts, because some of these district court judges, quite frankly, are knuckleheads. And Judge Ellis led you to believe that he wasn't a knucklehead, right? All of a sudden, we found a judge, one judge, who was going to uphold the Constitution. But of course, he didn't. And I pretty much suggested he wouldn't. And so Nat Manafort sits in solitary confinement in a federal prison, having never had his day in court. He's in two courts, one in the District of Columbia in front of a leftist appointed by Obama, who was more than happy to throw him into federal prison, where they knew he'd have to be in solitary confinement because he'd been Trump's campaign chief, albeit briefly, and the other inmates wouldn't take too kindly to that. And, of course, Judge Ellis is not particularly known for being the sharpest knife in the drawer, in my humble opinion. 
and uh, he demonstrated it. He gave you a head fake, almost as if he's playing to the TV and radio crowd, questioning, grilling prosecutor's office. Well, you know what? Second thought. You know, I looked at the appointment. The appointment's fine. And by the way, this Calabrese out there is saying it violates the appointments clause. Don't believe that either. Well, I don't know who died and named him uh, God, but he isn't the last word. He's just a federal district judge. There's about a thousand of them. I mean, the rulings have consequences. They can destroy people. Uh, but he uh, he proved to be basically, uh, on this, an empty robe, if you will, in my humble opinion. All right, I'm going to try and pull up the, uh, well, I can't seem to do it, Mr. Uh, can't get the call screen. Larry in California, the great KSFO, go! Hey, how you doing, Mark? First time caller. All right, let's get off the speakerphone if we can, because it's buzzing. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. All right, it's and we want to fun. check for that, Mr. Call Screener. All right, we got to go to another caller. Let's go. Jimmy Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Go. Mark, uh, in the Marxist newspapers I read, they say that they're going to penetrate the Democrat Party. They want to get control of the structure and apparatus and the checkbook. They said they're going to build local bases of support, largely in minority and immigrant communities and then hook up with national groups. So this is what they're doing. It's a Democrat socialist. It's the International Socialist Organization. It's all Marxist and communist. They try to sound more peaceful and less threatening by calling themselves Democratic Marxist. No, 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 no. They call themselves Democratic Socialists. Well, exactly. That's what I meant to say, yeah. So some people don't realize the threat this poses, but it's a world movement. You know, recently the head of the American Communist Party went to Red China to meet with the communist leaders there. So this is a world movement. They cross-connect, interconnect. They, they fund each other. They could help push people out of one country into another. They push people into certain districts. That's All right, my friend. The music means I got to tap dance out of here. We'll be right back. Conservatism with passion. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now. 877-381-3811. You know, it's safe to say political tension in our country is at an all-time high. No one can say for sure how this is going to impact you financially. But you know what? Now it's more important than ever to get your defensive assets in place right now. Have you heard of defensive assets? Even the leader of one of the biggest banks and brokerage firms on the planet, Charles Schwab, is advising Americans to take a portion of their portfolio and allocate it to precious metals like gold and silver. I have. It's now more critical than ever to consider protecting your life savings. And the process, actually, is very easy. You can even transfer funds between existing retirement accounts without penalty. The folks at PM Capital can tell you a whole lot more. PM Capital specializes in wealth preservation. And they know it's not what you have, it's what you keep that ultimately is what's important. Learn more by claiming your free PM Capital Investor Guide. And for a limited time, receive $500 in free gold or silver on qualifying purchases. Now is the time to act. Claim your free guide now. 
by visiting marklevingold.com. Mark, L-E-V-I-N, gold.com. Marklevingold.com. You've heard me talk about this a lot. Many of you just hear me talk about it. Check out their guide. Times are very shaky. Protect yourselves. Defensive assets. Go to Mark Levin, that's L-E-V-I-N, marklevingold.com. That's marklevingold.com. By the way, uh, Barack Milhouse Benito Obama is now expected to hit the campaign trail for Democrats with help from Pelosi and Schumer. Won't that be fascinating? He did such a great job for Democrats in the past. He lost the House. He lost the Senate. They lost 30 state legislatures, 30 governorships, give or take. I say, Barack Milhouse Benito Obama, we'd love to have you. Now, Donald Trump is speaking in North Dakota, and nobody, honestly, gives a better speech than Donald Trump. They're entertaining. They're substantive. For the left, it drives them nuts. It's got everything you can want in it. And he's in North Dakota. Now, here's what he said about the Supreme Court. Go ahead. And remember this. So we have a pick to come up. We have to pick a great one. We have to pick one that's going to be there for 40 years, 45 years. We need intellect. We need so many things to go. You know, there's so many elements go into the making of a great justice of the Supreme Court. You've got to hit every one of them. Heidi will vote no to any pick we make for the Supreme Court. She will be told to do so. Now, maybe because of this, she'll be forced to vote yes. Who knows? But I will tell you, she'll vote no the day after the election on everything. Justice Kennedy's retirement makes the issue of Senate control one of the vital issues of our time. The most important thing we can do. Democrats want judges who will rewrite the Constitution any way they want to do it and take away your Second Amendment, erase your borders, throw open the jailhouse doors, and destroy your freedoms. We must elect more Republicans. We have to do that. And the problem is, in the Senate, we have 51. We don't have enough. We lose one. If somebody gets a bad cold, let's assume they come in for a cold, but let's assume it's worse than that. It's a very tough situation. We need more Republicans, especially in the Senate. We have to hold the House and maybe even increase it, and I think we'll be able to do it. They keep talking about this blue wave. Their blue wave is really sputtering pretty badly. The red wave is happening. Just look what happened last night. Famous people. Oh, they're going to be so famous tomorrow. You were in that little group of people behind the president. Yeah. They're going to be famous people, those people. You have a better location, but they're going to be famous. Republicans want strong borders and no crime. Very simple. Not complex. Democrats want open borders and crime, crime, crime happens automatically when you have those open borders. The Democrats want to let the country be overrun. Just take a look at what's going on. 
Everybody comes in, including the vile gang MS-13, which Nancy Pelosi has gone out and wants to protect, okay? We don't want to protect them. You remember? Two weeks ago, you remember that. Republicans love our military. They love our vets and our police. The Democrats are always fighting against funding for the military and funding for law enforcement. Figure that one out. Democrats are now launching vicious smears against our incredible ICE officers and our Border Patrol agents. Every single day, the men and women of ICE and the CBC work long hours in the most dangerous conditions you can imagine to defend our families and to defend our communities and to defend our borders and defend us. And I'll tell you what, you know, far fewer people are coming through, as much as I complain, coming through our southern border. And now it's getting worse because we have so much opportunity here. We have done so well. And we want people to come into our country, but we want them to come into our country based on merit. Merit. Not picked out of a jar. Still Donald Trump. Fargo, North Dakota, go ahead. Sending MS 13 out by the thousands, by the thousands. We're liberating towns in Long Island. We are sending MS 13 out. You know, our ICE officers, they're tough. I got to say it, it's not nice, but they're mean, but they have heart. But they go into these towns in Long Island. I grew up in Long Island, right next to Long Island. And these are towns that I know all my life. They're being liberated like, like a foreign power is taking over the towns. Our ice goes in there, they grab them by the neck, they throw them in the paddy wagon, we get them the hell out of our country. And the Democrats are constantly complaining that we're too rough on ice. Do you believe it? You see what they do? Being, being right? You see what they're doing? No, but do you see what they're doing? They don't need guns. They like knives because knives are much more painful. They cut people up in small pieces. Beautiful young women walking home from school. And the Democrats complain that we're treating them too rough. We're getting them the hell out as I said, by the thousands. All right. Now, do you know of another politician who can talk this way? Do you, Mr. Producer? Just him. And it drives the left nuts, particularly in the media, because he has really a, a different kind of charisma. It is atypical. It's not your typical political charisma and he has the ability to communicate with people at a basic level I didn't say simplistic at a basic level and he's addressing real problems and he's also addressing the perpetrator or perpetrators of real problems and he's talking to the American people now 
it's not just Republicans who respond positively to this. There's a lot of Democrats who respond positively to this who are not democratic socialists of America, who are patriotic Americans, many of whom have served this country, many of whom are in active duty military, are veterans, are police officers. They're Democrats, perhaps, if you will, by birth or by heritage, because their parents are, if you will, and so forth. But they're not radical socialists who believe in destroying our institutions or fundamentally transforming America. They may be a little bit more liberal than some of us on some issues, but they do not believe that this is a bad country. They do not believe this country is filled with racists and racism. They believe good things about the country. I think I heard or read somewhere that the president's support within the Republican Party is either 90% or 87%. It's an enormous number. It's an enormous number. That takes in every area of the country, every walk of life, at least as applies to Republicans. But he has an appeal, a bigger appeal than Mitt Romney and John McCain did when they ran for president and so forth in minority communities. In the black community. And yes, in Latino communities. Where the despise Trump factor has gone up is among the self-anointed, self-appointed elites. It's not so much that they're actually elites intellectually or by accomplishment. It's that they manage to grab power whether it's power in the media, whether it's power in Hollywood, whether it's power over a union, whether it's power in Washington, power over a corporate, whatever it is. Whatever it is. But Trump has the ability to communicate and communicate well. That's why they attack him on Twitter. Maybe he'll, he'll say things that are not said with precision, and yet people say, you know, we all do that. We all do that. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, uh, my listener was in deep with back taxes to the Internal Revenue Service. Roughly 15 grand. And he couldn't pay. Just a matter of time until they garnished his wages and seized his bank account. Umpteen times he heard me mention Optima Tax Relief and how Optima knows that behind every tax problem are good people with families, homes, savings, and paychecks that need protection. And umpteen times he started to call and then didn't. Finally he did, and it was the best call he could have made. You know, the tax experts at Optima qualified him for the Fresh Start Initiative. It's a special IRS program that saved him thousands and put his tax debt to rest. Optima has resolved over half a billion dollars in tax debt for their clients, and they're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. So when you're ready to put your IRS crisis behind you, one call can start the process to solve it all. Call my trusted friends at Optima Tax Relief at 
6300 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. Why do you stress on this? Why do you sit there nervously opening every letter you get from the IRS? You can call in the cavalry at Optima Tax Relief. These are the pros. They have former IRS agents. They have CPAs. They have tax lawyers. It's a magnificent team of professionals who are there to help you. So call them at Optima Tax Relief. 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. Supreme Court deals sharp defeat to public employee unions banning mandatory fees. Now this is the way the media report this decision. David Savage over at the L.A. Slimes has been around a long time reporting on the Supreme Court. The headline should not be that. The headline should be Supreme Court frees Americans from mandatory confiscatory dues. Now, the way it's written up here, the Supreme Court dealt labor unions a sharp defeat. In other words, they dealt labor members a sharp victory ruling that teachers, police officers, and other public employees cannot be forced to pay dues or fees to support their unions. Now, part of the reason is, ladies and gentlemen, these unions take a big chunk of the money from their members and give it to left-wing Democrat causes and candidates. And the union members as a group are far more conservative than the union leadership. By a 5-4 vote, the justices overturned a 41-year-old precedent and ruled that the First Amendment protects these employees from being required to support a private group whose views may differ from theirs. I don't know why this is considered controversial. This should be considered a blow for liberty. The decision in Janus versus AFSCME strikes down laws in California, New York, and 20 other mostly Democrat-leading states that authorize unions to negotiate contracts that require all employees to pay a so-called fair share fee to cover the cost of collective bargaining. But it doesn't all go to a fair share fee for collective bargaining. And notice these are Democrat states where the politicians work with the union bosses to screw the union members. Now, let's see how this is reported further. In 1977, what does that have to do with anything? When public sector unions were getting established, the high court said teachers and other public employees may not be forced to pay full union dues if some of the money went for political contributions. But the justices upheld the lesser fair share fees on the theory that all the employees benefited from a union contract and its grievance procedures. But today's more conservative court disagreed and said employees have a right not to give any support to a union. These payments were described as a form of compelled speech, which violates the First Amendment. See, our courts are not in the business of propping up unions or propping up corporations. Our courts are in the business of upholding the Constitution, ladies and gentlemen. And if we had corporations doing what these unions did, I would be as much against it as I am when the unions do it. I'm for the individual. Quote, we conclude that this arrangement violates the free speech rights of non-members by compelling them to subsidize private speech on matters of substantial public concern, wrote Justice Samuel Alito for the majority. So non-members are also forced to pay the dues. 
He said powerful public sector unions have led to huge budget problems in Illinois and other states, as well as costly public employee pensions that are badly underfunded. He also rejected the notion that employees who do not support the union are free riders. Rather, they are captives on a trip they do not want to take, Alito said. He was joined by Roberts, Kennedy, Thomas, and Gorsuch. And so uh, there you have it. Another great decision, but five to four, the flip of one justice. Ladies and gentlemen, this vacancy on the Supreme Court, the debate, the back and forth, it's going to be up and down for all of you. But we will be here, you and I, together. And we will lead the charge to get an originalist on that court to protect our Constitution, which exists to protect you and me from forces that do not embrace the Constitution. And that would be the hard left. So we are in for a a bare-knuckle battle. We will lead that battle right here on this program, Radio Free America, on this show. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and you, the American people. God bless each and every one of you. Check out Levin TV tonight. Come back tomorrow right here. I'll see you then. God bless you.